As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have an old friend, a dear friend from the yoga community. We met in such beautiful circumstances. She is Universal Empress, and her name is Nadine McNeil. Welcome to the podcast, my love. Thank you so much. It is an absolute joy to be here and reconnect with you. Yes, indeed. I called on you because I'm watching you honor and guide 12 women through a process that you're calling Trust, Truth, and Dare. And I'll tell my listener all about you in just a moment. You are an extraordinary yoga teacher. You're a coach of sorts. You're, you're a transformational human. You're also a humanitarian. I'll talk about that in a moment too. But this particular group seems to be an important mention right now. Trust, Truth, and Dare is a, a small group of women who are learning how to unravel beliefs, unravel unconscious, uh, as you say, circuitry through their bodies. And given this current global conflict, all the layers of conditioning, as you say in one of your posts, are beginning to be peeled away, discarded and replaced with a commitment to love. This is what I want to share with my listener because I think enough of us are either teachers of yoga or practitioners of yoga. And we need to understand, similar to what Resma Menachem is teaching, uh, so many other teachers are teaching about trauma in the body and how it sits. I want to understand from you how you came to this, how it's unfurling before your very eyes in all these women, even if you're not in person, <laughs> virtually, and why it matters to you. Wow. It came to me through my own story and my own journey. And interestingly, when I gathered this group, we were dealing solely with the pandemic at the time that they, I formulated the concept. And so what I was looking at is, do we trust ourselves enough to honor the messages that are coming through? And then based on those messages, what really is our truth? Because so much of what we believe to be true is something that has been handed down or passed along to us. And so in recovering or discovering our truths, do we dare to stand in this place? And as life and the universe would have it, it culminated on the weekend of a full moon and eclipse and the heights of this global unrest. So all of the sisters arrived at the start wanting to talk about this issue. And it was truly powerful, you know, because 
as a facilitator and especially online to create that space of trust, of vulnerability, of safety, of bearing our souls from all across the world was awe-inspiring and so humbling for me. Mm. And, you know, in all of my work that I've done, both within the UN system and beyond, I really had to learn how to trust myself because more often than not, that was the only compass, as it were, that I could facilitate myself through. So we spent the first day unpacking this. What does trust mean? Where does trust live in the body? Grounding in some breath, a bit of movement, discovering where that was for many of us. It was either in the heart or the solar plexus, some of us at the throat, the stifling of wanting this, you know, wanting truth to come out and not trusting ourselves to voice that. And then the following day, we dropped into truth. And that was deeply confronting because with truth, there comes shame. And so we spent mm. that, that second day was like wading through quicksand. Right. And many people, including myself, you know, we see these things, we bury our heads in the sand. We discard this truth because it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And now here we are in 2020 having to face this truth. And that, for me, was the most powerful journey. And then on that third day, seeing people just transform into this full, magnificent expressions of themselves and just commit to being an advocate, a warrior, beginning in their homes, beginning in themselves. Very powerful work. Yeah. What's fascinating is you came up with this idea during the pandemic with no knowledge of the fact that the work would actually be far more important, vital, in fact, to the people who take this class than even they imagined. Yes. And you know, Elena, it's funny because I had done a session earlier on this year that was courage, compassion, and confidence. And at the start of each year, I choose a word that becomes my compass throughout the year. And for 2020, I had chosen courage. Mm. <laughs> and that year has unfolded. That word has taken on epic proportions or epic meaning. That's epic. I've seen you teach, Nadine. You are, when you teach, you're potent, insightful, accessible. I have had the thought more than once that I want to become you when I grow up. Oh, wow. More than once. Thank you, sister. <laughs> it's true. Um, you create such a safe container where others can really open in any conversation. So I actually really wish that I could take your course right now. Your work and your website is universalempress.com. I live for that. Your work represents the four pillars of what you've come to know in your life. There's yoga, there's public speaking or transformational speaking, there's women's circle facilitation, and there's wisdom mentoring. So it's not really coaching. I actually prefer the term mentoring because I think that's really what it is. You're Jamaican by birth and you are now living in Bali. Is that true? This is true. Yes. I've been here since 2015. Oh, wow. You have been there a long time. Mm. Plans are to stay there indefinitely. Well, you know, funny you should ask. Mm. 
I have continued to live between Jamaica and Bali, with Bali being more of a base. My father passed a couple of years ago. Mom is still in Jamaica. Who knows, you know, especially what's happening in terms of travel. A lot of the business that comes to Bali or comes to the yoga barn where I'm based is as a result of people traveling. And so with people now, yeah. So, you know, Bali is a bit of a ghost town at the moment. And we reckon it will probably be like this till pretty much the end of the year, early spring, Mm. until we know what travel entails and involves. Mm. Um, I'm looking to go to Jamaica in about three or four weeks, and I'll probably be there through to the fall. We'll see how things unfold. I feel that Jamaica will, will do quite well once travel opens up because it's simply you know east coast it's a plane ride away to get to bali there are several steps involved so we shall see i'm open yeah i am reading right now a book called my grandmother's hands by resma menikem and i'm finally have you have you read that book i have not well what's good about it is well everything is good about it he if you want to get an introduction to his work, listen to him on Krista Tippett's podcast on being. I'm finally really learning. This is one of the most important moments in our history. We thought we were there in the 60s, but we're really there now. Uh, This is when the same movement is still happening, which is both horrifying and fantastic. Yet we now have media. And what media has done is hasten the process of visibility for uh, Mr. George Floyd, for all of these Confederate statues that are coming down, these symbols of uh, enslavement and subjugation and genocide. And they're all disappearing now because of media. And I'm finally really learning the importance of letting, not just for those who are white and white passing like myself, but for people of color, letting the waves of emotion into the body and then through the body Mm. so that we don't hang on to it. I feel like this is something that you do very well way before any of this was uh, happening in the world. It feels so aligned with your asana teaching and it's something I think you integrate without even knowing it or maybe you do, but I would love for you to speak to my listener about what it means to notice a trauma emerging in the body and to consciously release it through the practice. Mm. Wow, there's so many ways I could enter that question. Well, how do we listen to the body, developing that relationship with the body? Um, When my father passed in 2018, and I'd been practicing yoga, gosh, since 2001, teaching since 2008, I recognized, even before his passing, I recognized that I was having a trauma response to the events happening around me. I remember one particular evening, it was a Friday evening, rush hour traffic, we had to put him in the ambulance, get him to the hospital. And, you know, coming from that whole emergency response background, I jumped into full gear you know, get him in the ambulance, dad, are your vitals, clip, clip, are you hearing me? The sirens are we, all of this is happening. And I'm watching myself, watch him. And I go, right, Nadine, you're going to have a trauma response to this later. Bookmark this. 
And so after he passed, I started to experience panic attacks again, which in fact is what brought me to yoga in the first place. Mm. And not only was I having those panic attacks about all of the trauma, the family dramas of, of going through that journey, but what started to resurface was the untapped trauma from my UN years. And I went, oh, wow, okay. So here I am, Miss Yogini, with all of this buried and not even aware within my own body what was taking place. So pranayama became a huge part of the practice again for me. Things like just shaking, tapping, and also dancing, you know. And so living in Bali, for example, where we have earthquakes quite regularly, and I'd feel that, you know, Mama Earth move through me and I'd feel it through my body. And so mm-hmm. I now develop a practice where when it happens, I get up, I go outside barefooted and I kind of just bounce on the ground. Oh, wow. So it's so important. Wow. So, so <laughs> you awesome. probably saw this video where in all of what's happening, I snapped once and it was actually before the George Floyd incident. Right. This had to do with the incident of Aubrey. Yes. Ahmad Aubrey. Yes. And I remember I woke up the morning, Elena, and something snapped. And I went to social media, unhinged, unplugged, and I could feel my heart racing. So placing my hands on the heart, breathing deeply, yes. sitting with my legs wide, feet planted on the ground, and I shared what I had to. Once I was able to clear that anger, first to acknowledge what was going through, clear it, then I could drop into a voice where I could contribute to being part of the solution. Now, I'm not saying we're not supposed to be angry. Whatever we're feeling, it is necessary that it comes up and out, particularly anger. Otherwise, we self-destruct and implode. Right. That's a beautiful um, way to talk about how to move things through, to stand with your feet wide, barefooted, hands on the heart, get angry, feel whatever you're feeling, and then wait until, I don't want to use the word appropriate because everything I'm learning right now is like, don't be fucking appropriate, you know, be who you are, be exactly how you are. But I appreciate the connection to the earth. And I think my listener will also appreciate when you are feeling this, um, you know, intense disassociation or dissatisfaction to put your legs a little bit wider than your hips, to stand with your bare feet on the ground, put your hands on your heart and feel a distinct connection to the earth and to what she has to share with you. It's good wisdom. And even just lying flat on your belly on the earth, you know, heart to earth, love to the earth, earth from love from the earth back to you, just connecting in any way that you can. Mm. I can't wait to listen to this episode when I'm able to just lie down and listen to you. I might have you teach at the end. Um, over the last several decades, I want to go back to when you said you had, you were experiencing a, a re-traumatization from your time at the UN. You have traveled the world over the last several decades, and you've worked in service of the UN, UNICEF, uh, Global Volunteer Network, and 
the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Thank you very, very much. I would love to hear of any of those, whatever you are able or willing to share with us. I'm deeply grateful for my time at the UN, and I'm going to, you know, I'm a bit of a storyteller, so I'm going to weave this a bit. Um, Give me all of it. (laughs) Being an only child, my mother left at 13. When I couldn't save my family, took me a while to figure this out, I then went off and thought I could save the world through my UN work, being this lofty organization Mm. with these noble ideals, as it were. So my first UN posting was in Iraq following Desert Storm in 91. And after spending some time in the Middle East, I then went to the Netherlands, then back to Africa, Asia, Haiti, Jamaica, full circle, India with my yoga and all of that in between. And You know, the UN's intentions, I still value the intentions of the organization. I think like everything else, our governments or academic institutions, all of them, the foundations on which those were built are no longer relevant to the time in which we're living. So, for example, I saw a post a couple of days ago where apparently UN staff were not allowed to participate in the protests in New York. The statement was later retracted and said if they want to protest on their own personal accord, then they could do that. In terms of the things I saw, my three hardest postings were Sudan, Haiti, and the Central African Republic. Wow. Sudan, because I was in, when was I in Sudan? 2005. Oh my gosh. There were still unofficial slave trades taking place in Sudan. So to actually see that up front, there are no words to describe that. No words. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm curious to know know what you saw. I feel like it's an education for anyone, but I don't want to ask you to share it if you, if you can't. It's, you know, it, it, it's who, I don't even know if there are words to it. It's one of these things that you see and you go, oh my God, this is actually happening. You know, there, there are little boats at sea or at, you know, by where the blue and white Nile meet and transactions are taking place. And you say to someone, what is this? And they kind of say to you under their breath, oh, didn't you know this still happens in Sudan? And you go, holy shit. I mean, it's one of those things that... As I speak to you, I'm feeling it in my um, yeah. solar plexus and my hand is on my head. Same. You know, so it, whatever it was, it was shocking, it, you know, but then it, it's so hard to actually put these things into words. I'll tell you what even hit me more than that was going to Mombasa in Kenya and seeing the bathhouses that last point where they wash the slaves before they put them on the boats and send them off to sea, that fucked with my headspace, pardon my language, more than anything else, because you could feel the fear in that space. It's painted black. It, you, you, you feel the fear. You can even, you can taste it. For me, fear has a metallic taste that mm. sits at the back of my throat. 
um, there's a smell to the place and you, the, the, the trauma is just heavy in, in the air like smoke. That impacted me perhaps more. And, and I don't want to, because I don't know if it's something you can even quantify, but that experience was more alive in me. Yes. You know, yes. and one of the things I've said for everyone, but particularly for people of color, the first opportunity you can get to travel to Africa, it is important because it's like the missing 23rd chromosome of yourself that you don't quite get. The minute you land on African soil, you go, oh, this is it. This is the part of me that didn't quite feel right. And I don't know if that's something that can be articulated. No, no, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm speechless that in 2015 or 16, I'm unaware of what you're speaking about. And I want to understand more. These yeah. humans who are being sold, where are they going on the ships? Many of them are going, some of them are going to the Middle East. Some of them are going to other African nations, but it's not spoken of. It's sort of like, what do you call that? The organs transplant business that kind of happens and no one really talks about it. Oh, yes, yeah. I get it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tell me more about your work with the UN and what you were there to do. I was there mainly doing emergency response and logistics. So I was in a very male-oriented, competitive sort of environment as the not only one of the few females but a female of color and that was really interesting in and of itself and how did i navigate through that i was very good at what i did mm. in fact i probably got away with being a bit of a rebel because i was so good at what i did but i also didn't really enjoy that aspect of the work, the admin, the competitiveness, the political bullshit. I really wanted to be in a place where I was connecting with the people, the beneficiaries on the ground. So that's eventually what brought me to yoga. I'll come to that in a sec. Right. Haiti was another place that got under my skin because, you know, if we think of Haiti being 45 minutes away from Jamaica, it could have been Jamaica with that massive earthquake in 2010. And walking into this place and, and seeing these buildings crumbled. And, you know, the thing, Elena, that always humbles me in this work is that these people that are suffering at such levels, they still smile, they still have dignity, they still have a sense of self. I keep hearing that from people who visit yeah. Haiti and and even also Kenya. I have a whole yes. organizational connection there. And that's all I hear. Dignity, dignity, integrity, yeah. dignity. Yeah. That dignity, that, that sort of African pride is real. You know, I was in South Africa in, in Cape Town earlier on this year, just before this whole COVID drama and hadn't been back to Africa since I left in 2012. And, you know, just to see that, that sense of pride and dignity and the smiles and the colors and the women and the men and the music. And it's just like, ah, I'm home, you know? Oh, oh. And, and it was kind of funny in South Africa 
because I would I would get into an Uber or something and they would say, are you American? And I go, no, I'm from Jamaica. And the whole dynamic would change. Why? Jamaica was the first country to support uh, South Africa in terms of, well, support in terms of not supporting apartheid. Right. They refused to do any business with, with South Africa during apartheid. And when Mandela was freed, one of the first three countries he visited was Jamaica. You know, so there's always been that bond. But yeah, Africa has a spirit that, that must be fed. And when you were working for the UN after you left, you were working at UNICEF. Is that true? I was with UNICEF following the tsunami in 2004. In fact, that was the first time I came to, well, I'd come to Bali years ago on a romance holiday, but I came here following the tsunami in 2004, came in early 2005. I was based in Jakarta, the country's capital, traveled the country a fair bit, a lot, in fact. And I used to come to Bali for R&R. And, you know, at that point, it was one of those places where you had access to some of the greatest yoga teachers at affordable prices. And yeah, Bali had just been through that whole, the Bali bombing, etc. So again, it was a ghost town and trying to rebuild and rebirth itself. And that happened through yoga, largely. Right. I know a lot of friends who have lived there, who continue to live there. Um, Janet mm. Stone is there, I think, still. Yes, she comes. Yes, yes, yes. Are you are you in touch with her at all? Not on a regular basis. We know each other, but I'm not in touch with her on a regular basis. Cool. Michael, I see from time to time. Franti, whenever he goes through. Of course, of course. There are a few people here, yeah. Yeah. Janet, if you guys got a chance to sit down, you would really hit it off. It's one of these things where we've, like you and I, where we've we've kind of crossed paths, but we have not landed. So yeah. I will set the intention to make that land the next time I see her. That right there is the realest gal in the room, straight up. Okay, so after the tsunami, what was your next stop? So after the tsunami, 2000, I was here for about... I left here in 2008. Indonesia was the place where I arrived and I realized actually I wasn't looking for a job change. I was looking for a life change. And I traveled the whole world searching for this change that was within me. So I left the UN and went off to New Zealand where I did a program with Global Volunteer Network called Be the Change. And it was a two-week program that taught you how to start an NGO, start a movement, etc. And at the end of the program, I said to the CEO, Colin Salisbury, I said, you know, I think you have a great program here, but you have a board that's filled with old white men. And he laughed. And then he invited to me to become a member of the board. That's what's and up. So, there you go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I did some work for them straight up until about mm, 2010. When Haiti happened, I headed up their Haiti volunteer project. And while I was working on Haiti, the Central African Republic, which is the fourth poorest country in the world, I was the, the UN dangled a golden carrot. And I said to them, I'd love to do this, but I have to complete the assignment I'm doing here in Haiti. 
So once I got the project to a level, it took me about nine months. I then went off to the Central African Republic. And um, that was when I said, right, enough. It's time to now sort of step over completely into the UN world because by this point I was now straddling in two fields. You know, while I was working in Haiti, I was also teaching community yoga there. When I went to Central Africa, I taught community yoga there. And I just really wanted to drop into the yoga. So in 2012, I chose to step away from the UN again, went home to Jamaica. And um, I think you and I must have met somewhere around then. And yeah, I started to teach yoga in orphanages, in prisons, basically anywhere that I could lend support yeah. in Jamaica. I often say I sort of came to my yoga world backways, as it were, because I did a whole pile of karma work before I then started to make it like my livelihood. Mm. I'm I'm so glad I got to meet you at that sort of pivotal point. I think we met in 2013 or 14, it feels like, maybe 2013. Yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. yes. So first of all, I think on behalf of my listener and me, I just want to say thank you for all that service, because that's a lot of very quiet, <laughs> unrecognized service that you did in these very small, intimate moments with people who maybe have never done yoga since or before. So thank you for that. Mm. I would love to hear about, and I think this is pertinent for my listener, no matter what color they are, I would love to hear about how you took all of that experience that you've just recounted and created of yourself this very transformational speaker, leader, mentor, guide with total confidence. You have created for yourself uh, not just a business, but a school of sorts. Mm. My listener needs to know about how you set your mind to do this because in the end, it's really just the mind that needs to be organized in order to accomplish this becoming. And I would love to hear about what you think about that. I remember sitting at my desk in Jakarta one day in Indonesia and I, I took a piece of paper and I said, right, what are my passions? What are the things I love? What am I really good at? What's my experience and what's my education? I essentially did a SWOT analysis of sorts. I know I had this world of travel. I know I had, you know, done the masters in gender studies, etc. I loved communicating with people. I was a natural leader, networker. I had this emerging passion in yoga. I've always enjoyed dancing. And I said, I'm going to merge these somehow. And I was also writing. So I was, you know, budding writer contributing to Elephant. Was I with it? No, I hadn't started with Elephant then. But I was always an avid journaler, so to speak. It's funny. I remember those pieces in Elephant. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's one of these things that kind of happened organically. I would have an experience. I would write about the experience. I would then share about the experience. And funnily enough, I did an interview earlier on today and I said, when we have these gifts, 
what I call our DNA or divine natural ability. These are downloads that come to us that pour out. It's not that they're easy, but, but they're almost seamless. So for example, one of the things I discovered about myself is that I land really well in front of camera, which is why even this whole thing of shifting business online has been seamless to a fault. I'm not the greatest technical person in the world, but I can land, I can hold space. I, I'm convincing in what I say because I, I hold myself at a very high standard as far as integrity goes. And I've always been that way for as, from as long as I can remember as a child. And, um, you know, there have been a few dark moments. There have been moments where, you know, going from a six-figure salary to a budding yogi salary, and you kind of go, what the hell have I done? But still, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I... I'm blessed, Elena, to teach a class. And here in, in Bali, we have, you know, massive numbers. 50, 60 is, is your average class. Mm. And when I open my eyes and I connect with one person, I see that, that a light bulb, bulb has gone off and they want to do something different, then I know I'm in alignment with divinity. I'm doing what I was called here to do. Yes. And so there, you just have to trust the process. And I know that sounds easier said than done. And I think I said to a few people, this Corona time, I was built for this. Everything up until this point in my life prepared me for this. That is a very strong medicine, my friend. And totally true. I've seen, I've seen how you show up. It's true. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Totally true. Yeah. If, um, if I may, I ask each of my, well, most of my guests, three questions at the end of each interview. And I would love to ask you, we know the answer to the first one. The first question is what in your life needs to be healed right now? <laughs> we know the answer to that. What a beautiful question. Yeah. I mean, if you have something personal, I'd love to hear you share that too. One of the, and this is actually quite connected to the times in which we're living the aspect that needs to be healed comes from the heart, but it's really having lived a life that wasn't mine, living according to the standards of others, trying to be a people pleaser at the cost of myself. And when you lose a parent, as I know you know, there's a part of you that goes with that person. Yeah. And yeah. I was the apple of my father's eye and vice versa. But there was a part of me that had to die with him so that I could emerge fully. That's deep, my love. That's deep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Two days ago, made two years since he was buried. And yeah. I'm grieving and healing, healing and grieving. Yeah. So it's most certainly the heart. But as the heart cracks wide open, the truth emerges, which ultimately sets me free. That's right. Thank you for that. That was helpful. Uh, lost my mom five years ago. And to mm -hmm. capture the fact that you just stated that a part of me died with her and something else emerged. Thank you for that. The second question is, what's your favorite view? And that can be you know, metaphoric, or it can be literal. 
literally to the ocean, nothing like the beach. I was on the beach when I had the download, send Elena a message. The ocean is where I go to clear. Wow. Yeah. And the moment you sent it, I was like, oh, the honor. I literally put my hand to my heart. I was sitting by myself. It was late. And I put my hand on my heart and I said, oh, as though something very precious Mm. had just landed in my lap (laughs) to hear from you. Thank you so much. And then the third question, and I think it's the most important, what does prayer mean to you? Oh, la la. Prayer is when I converse with the God of my inner standing, when I bear my heart and soul, and as I speak to you, my hand is on my heart here, Mm. and I feel that I am in perpetual conversations with God. So it's a continuous conversation. Hmm. When I move my body, that's prayer in motion. Yes. And when I sit still, when I drop into deep meditation, that's when I get to hear and listen. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. It is truly a privilege to be back in touch, and I'm looking forward to reconnecting with you in just a few weeks, months at the most to hear how things are developing once you get back to Jamaica and everything. I just want to, I want to stay closer. I appreciate you so much. Yes. Yes. Me too. Me too. Uh, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Mm. And, um, I love the, the, the connection and the, the interconnectedness of, of sisterhood and, and womanhood or womanhood, you know, yes. because we are the real holders of whatever it is that we're birthing into this world. We really are. You know, last thing I was listening to Michael Moore, he did an emergency podcast. Mm. I was listening to it on Spotify. It's worth a listen. It's pretty great. And he said at the end, you know, you want to know, What's going to heal this? You want to know? He's really funny. It's as though you're sitting with him. What's going to heal this is feed people and empower women. Yep. Put women in office. Yep. That's what's going to heal this. Put women in office, just straight up. And it makes me, when you speak, it makes me think of that and think, this guy on the level of race, on the level of gender, he is spot on spot on and has always been yeah. and and if i may just say one thing that you said earlier on you know one of the things also yeah we are gonna mess up on either side and that's part of our humility and our humanity everybody's trying to be so fucking politically correct yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous it's ridiculous i'm done i'm done being politically <laughs> correct I'm, what i'm doing right now and actually you know what i want to check in with you on this because I, I actually would love to hear from you on this what I've tried to do and what I've decided to do, at least I have a huge team uh, with doTERRA, tens of thousands of families, predominantly white, and I've decided to assign myself the role of educating them on their whiteness as I mm. learned about my whiteness. Mm-hmm. And as I've said to other guests recently, whiteness, if you're listening to this and that annoys you, because it annoyed me to hear it at first too, because I didn't understand, but I would challenge you to go ahead and look at a chair. That's chairness. Go ahead and look at a phone. That's phoneness. (laughs) And whiteness is just a fact. It doesn't carry anything. You're not in trouble. 
when you read, I've started to read everything that James Baldwin ever read or said. And what I'm learning is that, you know, from the very beginning of this country, it had to be that a black person was less of a person in order for the very tenets of this country to make sense to the white man. It had to be so because he came here and said, okay, this is going to be the land of the free. Mm-hmm. And if everybody's not free, what makes sense of chattel slavery is that person is not 100% a man, so it actually doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And that is the source of every single problem that we're having right now yeah. because that is so deeply ingrained in our DNA, in our understanding of what's true, that we can't get around it without feeling like idiots. But the truth is, all we have to do is recognize that fact. This here, this person of color in front of you, this is a whole person. And in fact, if I'm right, which I think I am, and I have since I was a very little girl, I've already started writing a beautiful spoken word around my opinion of my black friends when I was very small. If I'm right, the people that came from Africa that didn't even want to be coming from Africa, but that did, these are the kings and the queens. Mm -hmm. I feel this very strongly. I'm not putting myself down. I'm not saying whites are less than. I'm saying people of color are royalty. Yes. Like I felt this in my blood when I was a little tiny girl and I couldn't understand why things were being said and acted out so differently than what I felt viscerally. Wow, that's huge. Isn't that weird? Absolutely. So we've come full circle to what we said at the beginning. The body knows. Right. The body keeps the score. The body knows. You know, wow. So I was sitting down. I cannot believe you just said this. I was sitting down maybe early to, it was shortly after 9-11. Sadler Wells in London. And it was the first time I was seeing the Alvin Ailey performance. Mm. And I remember watching that performance and saying to myself, I've been had. Yes. I've been had. How the hell could somebody tell me that I'm an inferior being to what I'm seeing in front of me? I was an adult at that point, Elena. My favorite, Alvin Ailey. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, if, if we check into what's going on, I mean, there's so many layers to this and, you know, as yogis and yoginis, this is almost like a universal karma as it were. And then if we drop into a place of compassion, hurt people, hurt people. Yes. So what happened in your lineage that you would want to hurt me for 400 years? That's right. And when you look back and you see why these people left England, things were not going so well. (laughs) Yeah. Things were not going so well. And in fact, they came here and they killed everyone that lived here, all the Native Americans, extermination, no different than the Holocaust. No different. Yeah. Just more hidden. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, (sighs) yeah. Those of us that can see, we have... um, it, it's been such a rewarding time, and, and this is where I also really have to practice self-care because I've had, you know, most of my clients happen to be white women, you know? So it's, it's, been, it's been a trip. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah? I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing about that, <laughs> and then I'll let you go. Yeah. Guess why all we white women want to come study with you, to have a guess? The wisdom. Because you're a queen. 
and we want what Thank you've you. got because we see in you something regal in ourselves that we have never been able to actually embody. Boom. Wow. You know, it's funny because I, I don't know if you remember this. You saying to me in your kitchen, however many years ago. Yes, uptown. You remember that? I do very yeah. well. Very well. We had well, a beautiful we're getting meal. closer. <laughs> we are getting closer. We are getting closer. Yes. It's true. Yes. All right. So more yes. soon, I promise we're going to reconnect in a few, maybe a few months, you know, before then, of course, but for the podcast, I'd like to reconnect and see how things land in a few months from now. And um, honoring you with all of my soul, Nadine, I love you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Loads and loads of love to you and keep on being who you're being. Keep on being who you're being. I will. Thank you. All right. Blessed love. Mm -hmm. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.